Repentance is a costly thing. And so the question for you and the question for me, is there any sin in my life, in your life, that is worth more than the kingdom? Is there any cherished sin we would rather keep and lose all else for its sake? Welcome to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths. And today, as we look at repentance, Jonathan, I want to begin with a definition, if we could, just to make sure that we're all on the same page, that we understand what we're talking about, we've defined our terms. You say repentance is a costly thing. So there may be some who say, well, then why would I want that? What is repentance and why is it a good thing? At its root, repentance means to change your mind. To repent is to change your mind in a thorough way, in a complete way, and it's to change your mind about God and about yourself. So our natural attitude is to say that I am right, and what God says about me and my life and my behavior and my response to him is wrong. And repentance as a response to Jesus in his word says, no, I was wrong, and God is right. And so I need a wholesale change of heart and mind to turn toward God in an attitude of humility and to submit to him as the ruler of my life. I think one of the things that we sometimes may struggle with is we've not had that clear definition of repentance. And we've maybe thought of repentance as just simply beating ourselves up or feeling badly for sin in our life. But I hear you saying it is so much more than that. It's a wholesale attitude of mind and heart that needs to change. And of course, there will be particular areas of our life and particular patterns of behavior or whatever it is that we need to say, well, now that I recognize that God is right and I am wrong, uh, that needs to change. That needs to stop. And I need to, I need to leave this pattern of behavior, this pattern of thought, whatever it is, I, I need to leave that aside. And I, I recognize before the Lord, actually, that I, I was wrong about that and I was wrong in doing it. And so I come to him in humility, seeking his forgiveness for that. That's part of repentance. Well, we're going to take a look at this today from Matthew chapter 13 as we continue True Kingdom Response. Here is Jonathan. True Kingdom Response means seeing the value of the kingdom. That's the first lesson here. And next, True Kingdom Response means selling all you have for the kingdom. Now, I need to say right away that I don't mean that literally. And I don't think Jesus means that literally, necessarily. This isn't a financial transaction, that's what I mean. This isn't about literally going to the auction house with all our worldly goods to raise funds in a hurry. We're not buying our way into the kingdom. We couldn't buy it if we wanted to, but the image from the stories, the concept from the images of selling everything to gain entry to the kingdom, it drives home to the heart what Jesus is saying to us, the lesson he wants us to understand. When that farmhand found the treasure, he ran home and he offloaded everything he could in order to buy it. 
Having found the treasure, suddenly nothing else was of value to him. When the merchant found the pearl, his goods and his assets, he had no inclination at all to hold on to them. And he had to let them go actually to gain entry. In a sense, the willingness of these characters to take this drastic action, their willingness was the confirmation that they did indeed see the true value of what they had found. They went and they sold all that they had. When we hear the message of the kingdom, receive the invitation of the kingdom, what does it look like for me and for you to sell all that we have in order to gain it? Well, we said already that this picture from the world of economics and trade is not pointing first and foremost to an economic reality. We don't in any way buy our way into the kingdom. Salvation is a free gift purchased for us by Jesus through his death on the cross, but what do we do to receive it? At the outset of his ministry, Jesus' opening call to the crowds, you may remember this, his opening call to the crowds was to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17. The kingdom is at hand. The king has come. And what ought you to do? One word, repent, says Jesus. Now, to repent means literally to change your mind. To change your mind about yourself. To recognize that you have been wrong when you thought you were right. To recognize that you have done wrong when you might have claimed to do right, it is to change your mind about God, to recognize that He exists, that He made you, that He has a true claim on your life, that you stand guilty before Him in need of His mercy, in need of His forgiveness. True repentance is a wholesale change of attitude and outlook toward God. It is deeply humbling because it says, you know, I had things terribly wrong. I've made an awful mess of things and I desperately need the Lord to save me because I cannot save myself. It, it involves taking everything I thought was to my credit and putting it in the lost column of my life. It involves humbling myself and recognizing that I have nothing to offer Him, that I come to Him entirely empty-handed. And you know, true repentance, it's hard to do. It's not an easy thing. It's not a superficial thing. It's very hard to let go of my own sense of moral superiority. That thing is very deeply ingrained. It's hard to acknowledge that I've been wrong and that I've done wrong. It's hard to humble myself enough to say that I need mercy and I need forgiveness, salvation, and help spiritually, emotionally, intellectually. You know what repentance is like? It's a bit like selling everything you own. <laughs> and putting it all in the Lord's hands. That's a big thing. It's a hard thing. That's, that's a drastic thing to do. But Jesus says it is done out of joy at seeing what is on offer in the kingdom, true joy, deep joy. Repentance involves this big picture shift in our attitude and our outlook toward the Lord God, but it also involves a very specific turning from cherished sins. It involves confessing before the Lord that certain actions and patterns of behavior are wrong, that we want to turn from them and renounce them with His help. And in some ways, the specifics of repentance can be the very hardest things, giving up the things we knew are wrong but crave and pursue nonetheless our selfishness, 
our self-indulgence, our pride, our lust, our me-centered ambition, but a true response to the kingdom looks like getting rid of all that from our lives, selling it all off, as it were, so that we may gain Christ, and it's hard. <laughs> and it's costly. It can be very, very painful, but it's what Jesus calls us to do. Repentance is a costly thing, and tragically, some will be simply unwilling to bear that cost. I remember a pastor friend sharing the story, I've probably mentioned it before, sharing the story of confronting a man from the church in his adultery, and this man saying to him, I would rather go to hell than give up this relationship. He wasn't willing to bear the cost of repentance. He felt himself willing to pay the price of his sin, incredible though that seems to our ears. And so the question for you and the question for me is simply this, is there any sin in my life, in your life, that is worth more than the kingdom? Is there any cherished sin we would rather keep and lose all else for its sake? See, repentance is costly. You know, it's not just the repentance that is costly. It is the discipleship. It is the following of Jesus that costs dearly as well. Listen to what Jesus says later in Matthew about what it means to follow him. Matthew 16 and verse 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? You know, the image of taking up our cross is not a terribly attractive image. The cross was, as you know, an instrument of torture and execution. We might as easily say in the modern world, you know, strap yourself into your electric chair. That is the force of this thing, except the carrying of a cross involves movement, following, going forward, and so the imagery is more helpful. Jesus carried his own cross to the place of his execution. He had no luggage with him, no dinner reservation, no plans for a hotel that evening. He was going to his grave empty-handed, and he says, if you would follow me, you must join me on that journey. Nothing you're holding on to, no, no possessions, plans, commitments that would come before me in any way, ready even to die. Salvation is a free gift. Entry to the kingdom, it is without price, but here is the point. It will cost you everything. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. On finding the pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Friends, I, I fear that we imagine that we can hold on to our plans and possessions and ambitions and priorities completely intact and put our name down for the kingdom like we sign up for an all-inclusive vacation on Expedia or Booking.com, fully cancelable, all on our own terms, minimal cost or commitment to ourselves, one click of a button, you know, this consumerist version of Christianity light, it is hugely attractive to us, it is widely received. We're so used to having our needs and preferences met on our own terms. But Jesus wants us to see 
that that kind of response to him and to his kingdom message, it is not a true response. Everything we have, everything we are, it is put up for sale, as it were. It is made totally available to Jesus Christ, and joyfully so, because we found treasure. All we hold dear in our lives needs to be available on the auction block for rapid sale. Our profession, our plans, our pleasures, our pursuits, everything. In a day gone by, we used to sing the chorus, maybe you remember it, all to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give, I will ever love and trust you in your presence daily live, I surrender all, I surrender all, all to thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. Over time, I think folk have sort of objected to singing lyrics like that in church because we struggle to really mean them with sincerity, and it could encourage insincerity if we sing things like that together. And there's a point to that concern, actually. But as I read the words of Jesus here in our passage, as I look at these parables, I think that that chorus expresses precisely what he requires of each one who would follow him. Kingdom of heaven is like a treasure, a pearl. In his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys it. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. Now, at this point, I think we ought to do something very uncomfortable. I think it will help us and to internalize and personalize all that's being said here. Just, just try this with me. Bear with me for a moment. Complete this sentence in the quietness of your own heart. Say to yourself, I am willing to surrender everything to Jesus, every cherished sin, every ambition, every possession, every relationship, everything in my life except dot, dot, dot. Say that through in your mind, and then let me ask you, is there something that naturally fills the dots? Is there a completion to that sentence that comes readily to mind for you? Is there some sin, some ambition, some priority, some possession that just sits in that gap all too naturally and quickly? Maybe there's not. I, I hope there's not. Praise God if there isn't, but for a number, I suspect that something came all too readily to mind, and if that's the case for you, let me say this. That thing, whatever it is, that thing, it is your biggest problem. It is your barrier to the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And if you consider yourself a believer, a follower of Jesus, but there is something like that in your life, something lurking in the dots, let me tell you this, it is your greatest spiritual danger today. And that thing, whatever it is that's lurking in the dots at the end of that sentence, it is what you need to go home today and deal with before the Lord in your heart of hearts. Let me encourage you to do that. Let me urge you to do that today, to make time and space to address that thing in your heart of hearts before the Lord is urgent. You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths. And we're going to pause right here. But we'll get back to the message in just a moment. 
Well, we're able to bring you Jonathan's teaching each day because of your generosity. And as you give a gift of any amount this month, we want to say thank you by sending you a book that Jonathan has picked. It's called The Four Emotions of Christmas. It's written by Bob Lapine, and it is our way of saying thank you for your financial support. You can find out more or give online when you come to our website, EncounterTheTruth.org, or call us at 833-998-7884. That number again is 833-99-TRUTH, or our website is EncounterTheTruth.org. Back to the message. Here's Jonathan. True kingdom response, it means seeing the value of the kingdom. It means selling all that you have for the kingdom Next and finally, Jesus shows us that true kingdom response truly matters. Verse 47. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Here's another parable, another image from ordinary life from the world around us. A number of Jesus' first followers, as you'll know, were fishermen. And here is the image of letting down a net, perhaps weights at the bottom of the net, floats at the top, and dragging the net onto shore with ropes. All kinds of sea life would be in there by the time it reaches shore. Some would be fit for eating, Some would be diseased, some would fall foul of the ceremonial laws, the food laws of Judaism, and so would need to be thrown away. And the image, it points us forward to the end of the age, to the great judgment, where the angels will assist the Lord in His work of judging the world, and there will be this great sort out, this great division, this final distinction between the evil and the righteous. Now, we need to look at this story, this parable, in light of what has come before. We have, we have the treasure, remember? We, we have the pearl, which showed us the true nature of a true kingdom response. We either respond rightly or we don't. And we might say, you know, having heard those two parables, you know, why, interesting, but why does it, why does it matter? I, you know, I, I see the value or I don't see the value at the end of the day. I, I sell everything or I don't sell everything at the end of the day. Who really cares? Well, here's why it matters, says Jesus. In a day to come, those who have sold all for the kingdom, who have accepted the message, who have become righteous, which means to be right with God by faith in Jesus, those people will be gathered in for salvation. While those who have counted the kingdom as worthless, those whom Jesus calls evil, they will face this unspeakable future. And look at how Jesus describes that future, verse verse 50. It is a fiery furnace, he says. It it is a place where there is, is weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's too awful to contemplate. Jesus has spoken of this place of judgment before in exactly the same terms. Verse 42, we we thought about it last time. We heard it last time. He is speaking of hell itself. There's no other way to put it. And, and repetition, the repetition of Jesus here, it speaks of importance. When you repeat something, you do so because it's got to be heard. There is urgency. He's repeating himself because this really matters. It's not nice to hear about hell. It's not nice to think about it. But we mustn't ignore the reality of it. 
how we respond to the kingdom message, the kingdom invitation. Here's what Jesus is saying. It really, really, really matters a lot, more than we can imagine. Heaven and hell are at stake. And Jesus wants me and Jesus wants you to know that the place of judgment is real and it is truly awful. We might say, oh, you know, well, Jesus is using pictures here. He's been using lots of pictures. It's just a picture, parable. He doesn't really mean it. Well, just notice that the fiery furnace is not an image from the parable. The description stays the same, even though the parable around it changes. This is part of the explanation of the parable, not the parable itself. In verse 42, Jesus was at the end of the parable of the weeds. Here we are at the parable of the net. Totally different imagery for the parable, but the description of hell in the explanation of the true meaning of the parable, it is exactly the same. A fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. No, this is not a mere picture. This is an awful reality. And Jesus tells us of it in stark and ugly and unsettling terms in order that we might hear the warning and escape the reality. You see, he invites you and he invites me to join him in the kingdom. That's the invitation to gain the kingdom, to enter it on the basis of his death in our place, his blood shed for us, his blood shed that we might be cleansed, restored, forgiven, welcome in. And so, friends, it is now over to you. How will you respond to the kingdom message, to the kingdom invitation? Th that's it. That's the issue Will you see the value of the kingdom? Will you sell everything in your life to gain the kingdom? That's the question. That's the issue. And it's a personal one. And in doing so, will you escape the fiery furnace that we all so amply deserve? I, I hope you will. I pray that you will. As we listen to these words of Jesus, it seems so obvious to choose the kingdom. It's the obvious thing to do. But will you do it? Won't you do it? What could possibly stop you from doing it? You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths. And Jonathan, we may have some listening today who have come to that point of saying, yeah, I'm ready. I don't want anything to stop me from coming to Jesus right now. What is kind of holding me up just a little bit is I'm really kind of unsure what that might look like. I'm ready to give my life to Christ, but what's my first or next step? Well, the Lord Jesus has just made it so clear in the, in the teaching we've just heard that we need to be ready to give up all for the kingdom, <laughs> to see the kingdom as the greatest treasure that there is in life and to prize nothing above him. And if within your heart you're at the point of saying, yes, I recognize that the Lord Jesus in his kingdom is the most precious thing there is, the most valuable thing there ever could be, then you are ready to turn to him. And what you need to do is, is it's a big thing, but it's a simple thing. And it involves coming to the Lord Jesus in prayer and saying, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the things in my life that I've held on to, which actually now I see have kept me from you 
things that perhaps I, I know are wrong and are offensive in your sight, but I've held to, and I need to now put them aside. I'm sorry for those things, and I, with your help, I want to put them aside. And that's what the Bible calls repentance, is a change of mind and heart toward God, and a change of mind and heart concerning the things in our lives that are displeasing to him. It, it then involves saying to the Lord Jesus, I, I believe that you are who you say you are. You are heaven's king, the Savior who came into the world, and I believe that your death on Calvary was sufficient to pay the price of my sin, of my wrongdoing. And so I trust in you and your death in in my place. And now I give myself to you in faith, asking that you would make me your own and accepting me into your kingdom. And the promise of the gospel is that the Lord Jesus will do that if we come to him in that spirit of repentance and of faith. And if if you make that step today in your own words, in the quietness of your own heart, The promise of Jesus is that he will indeed receive you. And if you do take that step today and you do pray that prayer in the quietness of your own heart, I hope you'll let us know that you've done that. You can contact us through the website. It's EncounterTheTruth.org and click on that contact link. Or even better, give us a call. Our toll-free number is 1-833-99-TRUTH. That's 1-833-998-7884. We'd love to encourage you and pray with you as you begin this relationship with Jesus. Well, thanks for listening today, and I hope you'll join us next time.